and welcome to the GVA Legal Podcast. My name is Jean Kambuni and I'm your host. The executive arm of government is vital to the running of any government. The selection of a cabinet is among the first decisions a new president makes. Kenya has had a cabinet for about 69 years. And according to the Administrative Circular Number no. 5 of 13th May 1961, the ministerial system of government has been in existence since 1954. The question of the day today is, do you understand the functions and mandate of the Cabinet of Kenya? And if you don't, or if you need a refresher civics course, we're going to talk about the executive, specifically the Cabinet. To discuss this topic, in studio with me is S.C. Mercy Wanjao, the Secretary to the Cabinet of the Republic of Kenya. Welcome, Madam Secretary. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Now, I'm going to jump straight into this and ask you an overall question. What is the role of the Secretary to the Cabinet? Thank you very much. The office of the Secretary to Cabinet is constitutional, set up under Article 154 of the Constitution. And uh, this article is quite definitive in terms of the responsibilities of the office, which is to have charge of Cabinet office or Cabinet business and uh, this means that actually recognizing that government runs in perpetuity it does have business to do to identify that business prioritize it from the portfolios and then keep a formal record of these deliberations as they are held the primary nature of government business is composed of largely policies, legislative proposals, reform proposals, and these are what go to actually characterize what kind of a government was it, what were the priorities of the administration, and how were these implemented. And ultimately, it becomes the lives that the citizens live day to day. It's very interesting that um, these high-level um, discussions and conversations and how a government goes into thinking about the type of government it will be gets broken down to a very minute level and becomes the actual lives of the citizens. It comes broken down to the complete lowest level. Right. And every government will have its priorities. And these are the priorities that the voters or the citizens will look back and measure them against. So the Kenya Kwanzaa administration also came into power against certain priorities, which are uh, defined as the plan, the bottom-up economic transformation agenda, mm -hmm. which carries five priorities from uh, digital transformation, agriculture, um, and the like, cutting across affordable housing, universal uh, health care. And under these priorities are flagships and uh, value chain linkages. For example, when you look at agriculture, Agriculture is the bedrock of sustainability. Food security determines the health of a nation. Mm -hmm. It also shields a nation from ravages of nature. Inside agriculture are nine value chains. One of them is the leather value chain. Another is cotton. Another is dairy. So there's a lot of business that goes into the planning um, under the various portfolios to ask, when we talk about dairy, where are we? Where are we going? How will we get there? Do we have a platform of policies and uh, legislative frameworks that are supportive of where we are going? Are there gaps? If they are, 
you need to time them adequately, sequence them to ensure that they go through the process of approval all the way to parliament so that they are out there in time for implementation for the citizen to actually experience the benefit of that uh, policy or that promise that was made by the administration, which should ultimately translate into a higher quality of life in the long run. I like what you're saying. So there's once, I forget who it was, who called government the bureaucracy, that government is the bureaucracy and the cabinet state sits at the highest, most strategic level where it takes those, as you call them, promises that were made by an administration and then assigns them, gives them actual definitive if I can call them, the overall promise is the impact that they wanted to have. Now you break it down and you give each um, office holder, each CS, ha- having a portfolio, a particular outcome that you want them to achieve. And then now they can break it down into the outputs that each of their departments will have to be able to reach that strategic impact that the administration promised the voters at the time when they were being voted in. So if I could break it down for the people yes. in the most simplistic way, that is it. Cabinet is the most strategic level that takes that particular vision, that impact that an administration wanted to have, puts it down into outcomes that each cabinet secretary, being a portfolio holder, breaks down into a smaller um, area that they're going to focus on, right down to what each individual office holder in their ministry or in their um, portfolio will do. Yes, you're very right. That's actually the narrative. Cabinet is the apex decision-making organ of the country. It is chaired by His Excellency, the President, and the various portfolio ministers sit there to discharge the order of business that relates uh, to their area. Um, Article 153 does recognize that cabinet secretaries are accountable individually and collectively to the president for the exercise of their powers and the performance of their functions. So in order to connect those dots, it ultimately will need to get very granular so that uh, when you talk about, uh, for example, delivery of fertilizer, um, it will start from the sourcing of the fertilizer. But ultimately, it has to be about a farmer in a certain area getting the appropriate type of fertilizer for their soil and the crop that they are growing. It's a massive, massive undertaking. undertaking. Yes. Now, you you spoke about something, um, and this now brings us into, as we go to hardcore civics, the three arms of government. You spoke about um, creating an enabling environment for you to be able to achieve whatever strategic intention that you have, whether whether it's in agriculture, as you spoke about leather, like you look at, is there a policy framework? uh, Is what we want to do supported by law? Does it have legislation? How does the cabinet interface with the other arms of government? So that's parliament, and the judiciary. How does the cabinet interface? Okay, so um, government is constituted of the three arms, executive, legislature, and the judiciary. The judiciary is the independent arm, and that is the one that forestalls and safeguards and ensures that there is rule of law that is upheld. Then coming into the legislature, this is a very critical in terms of progressing um, the legislation or the frameworks, to come into operationalization. So uh, because of that, you find that uh, they are very much on the front line because any policies, any legislation that is passed through cabinet ultimately has to go um, to 
the National Assembly to Parliament um, for passage. And this actually sits squarely in terms of progressing and preparing legislation for progression. In the current structure of government, it sits with the Prime Cabinet Secretary to take that onwards. Of course, there is also county legislation, which is a bit of a different process, but these two are kind of interrelated because there's items at the national and there's items that are at the county level and there are heavy interlinkages. Allow me to speak to the issue of public participation. Yes. Because this is a cardinal principle that sits within our constitution and requires that any policy has the benefit of public participation. And this is where uh, the policymaking process recognizes the supremacy of the people and the need for them to interact with any proposal, breathe their aspirations, any fears, any challenges, any hopes that this would be captured within these um, tools that are being uh, prepared to address the future that we all look uh, forward to. I would say this is a fairly, fairly progressive approach and one that uh, we all should be encouraged to really come out and um, and feed into. Because once policies and uh, legislative frameworks are passed, it takes a long time before they're revised. So you have to put the best foot forward the first time. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. You've spoken about um, the devolved system of government that we also have. You've referenced um, county governments. And I wanted to know... Um, as the national government and as the executive, how do you interface with um, the county governments? There is a, a very heavy interrelatedness between the national and the county. After all, the sum of the whole is counties. And uh, the framework that guides this is the Intergovernmental Relations Act of 2012. And uh, this piece of law establishes the National and County Government Coordinating Summit which comprises of the president who sits there as the chair, the deputy president, and the governors of the 47 counties. This uh, summit is a very critical forum because it allows a platform to deliberate a lot of things that are of importance to the nation, some which are at the national level, others which are devolved, and many of which find themselves within a value chain universe where partnerships and collaboration uh, become very critical. In a system that is not well coordinated, you could easily find wastages, duplication, or just poor leverage of resources. And in a bid to really stretch what you have and you know stretch it for the greater distance, then you find platforms like the summit become very critical to find common ground. I agree with you. And, and you know, with the um, government having been devolved in this manner and there being a lot of shared functions, I think that the summit is a very important part for right. government to iron out and to have a unified approach to especially the shared functions that government has as per the constitution. Right. Now, I go down into the granular elements of cabinet and I wanted to find out, and this is just me as a layperson, I was very curious, how often does cabinet meet? Different countries meet and uh, differently. We recently joined the League of Cabinets that are able to conduct paperless meetings as the order of business. I know during COVID, many businesses, many governments went virtual, but for that season. But uh, in Kenya, from the beginning of uh, this year, we went uh, paperless as part of the effort of supporting sustainability uh, for the long haul. 
and uh, secondly, uh, as part of the commitment towards uh, digital transformation of the country. So in Kenya, the aspiration is to meet is to meet uh, fortnightly, but of course, depending on the expediencies of uh, the business before us, this can happen even more often because at the end of the day is to ensure that services are delivered on time. And this then would call for me to say it meets fortnightly and earlier if necessary. If I was to use board language, an ordinary cabinet meeting is meant to happen fortnight. every fortnight. Yes. And you can have an extraordinary cabinet meeting should the need arise and Correct. should there be a situation that determines that or necessitates it. it calls for it. But now I, if I come back to an ordinary cabinet meeting and I understand that there are some elements of what happens in a cabinet meeting that are confidential and private and would not necessarily meet um, the criteria of what can be shared with the general public. On a general note, what happens in a cabinet meeting? Okay, so... Um, a cabinet meeting sits to conduct business and uh, the question would arise is how do things get onto the agenda? This is based, first of all, on the plan of an administration. What are the priorities of that administration and how are they sequenced? So that in an ideal situation where you have um, a long value chain like agriculture, you want to boost crop production and you need frameworks that will support uh, crop production in a certain sector, ideally within the earlier side is where you progress a lot of these issues because they take a longer time. So um, cabinet seats to conduct this business and uh, upon doing so, it is my responsibility to pass it onward to whoever is responsible for implementation. Um, as you very well know, it's one thing to make a decision. It's another thing to communicate the decision. And then more importantly, it's another thing to execute, to execute for results at the end of the day. So the cabinet office comes in to partner very, very closely with the chair of cabinet and the portfolio holders and to offer a quality assurance role in ensuring that the business that comes before the cabinet is in proper shape and form, is well deliberated and uh, is fully canvassed before the, this uh, memoranda presented. The current administration has adopted a committee system and uh, this is meant to ensure that there is in-depth consideration of issues, the scenarios, the options, and thereafter bring the best proposal forward for consideration for implementation. So it's very interesting that you say that the agenda of cabinet is determined by the agenda of the administration and the priorities that the government has put in place, um, the administration of the day has put in place and how they would like those to be implemented. Then um, that means that there are also decisions that do happen at the cabinet level. And I'm, again, just curious, wondering, because even in a board situation, you can have situations where there is the difference, difference of opinion between the members of cabinet as to what decisions should be made or what we should prioritize at a given time. Are there situations when like, there is a tie or half the cabinet holds a certain position, another half holds another position? Is there something like a tiebreaker or has do certain situations like those present themselves? While I may not have experienced that, uh, but looking back and broadly uh, at practice, obviously situations of a different point of view um, would likely to arise from time to time. But one of the very integral principles of cabinets worldwide is that decisions are made collectively. The best effort 
would be to achieve collective decision-making as to allow for holistic and unanimous support. And as it is often said, sometimes you may not be fully in support, but if a decision has been um, arrived at within a certain area, then you fully back it up and support. I agree with you. I now want to go back to now your individual role as the secretary to the cabinet. And your role is very well defined in the constitution with um, um, you having the principal function related to the management and the work of cabinet. Are there any other roles that you do undertake and what roles would those be? So um, Article 154 does uh, quite much articulate the core business as a prioritizing um the priorities of an administration to find their expression all the way to implementation. But, uh, you know, the nature of law is that it will focus on core principles and then there are other undefined or unexplained roles that come alongside it. For example, once cabinet meets, it's important for a citizen to know what decisions were made today. So the cabinet office comes in to support the communication of the decisions that are made from cabinet that Kenyans may know this is the decision being made. This is how it's likely to impact myself um, myself or my business, my life. And uh, this is a very critical function because information is power and it also drives informed um, behavior or decision making going onwards. Kenya has a presidential system and uh, looking broadly into other jurisdictions, you find that where presidential systems are run, there are other features that find expression. For example, the issue of uh, recognizing that uh, cabinet is an office of record. This then gains very good ground for presidential archives, libraries, and the documentation of our history as a nation. And you will find that this is actually the situation that uh, obtains in the more advanced jurisdictions where they have very well set up systems for libraries and archives. And um, perhaps as we move on, these are some of the areas that uh, we would begin to look at to find whether we could tap into the treasure that is available in form of history and decisions that have been made for this country. You also find that uh, because this is an office of record and is deep with history, no history of any country is written without getting into decisions that were made at that high decision-making body. Perhaps in time, this might be opportunity to share history from source and to be able to explain how decisions were made and perhaps even uh, virtualize this information and even uh, create museums like has happened elsewhere, just created to explain how the executive or the presidencies operated, how they related with other nations, what was the implication of relating with uh, nations over history. And we see this from older jurisdictions like England, Canada and the like. Now, I'm going to ask you the last question that um, I wanted to ask you today. And this relates to you as the office holder that you currently are right now. Since 2015, mm -hmm. the office of secretary to the cabinet has been a shared function um, or was held by one office holder, the head of the public service. As you get into your role, there's a new spotlight on the secretary to the cabinet. And what legacy do you want to leave behind for this office. What do you want to be, if you want to be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Okay. Um, thank you for that uh, question. Indeed, you're right, because in setting up this office, 
separate and substantive under Article 154, uh, it is expected to find full expression. And uh, talking about legacy, one of the ways that um, I see that I will be remembered for is because of leveraging the digital transformation um, aspect in the automation of cabinet business. This was achieved this year. And in going digital, there are certain advantages that come with it because monitoring and evaluation is likely to become more granular and more identifiable as we go on. So I do recognize that uh, by leveraging on technology, we will now find ourselves in a situation where going into history, uh, the possibility of monitoring and evaluation of a very complex business, I believe, will become closer and uh, it will be easier to monitor uh, earlier and to identify gaps or areas that need to be addressed sooner and therefore achieve competitive advantage. So I do hope to be recognized together with my team who have really played very close on this particular exercise that uh, decisions will be made that leverage Kenya for competitive advantage. Decisions that have uh, been backed by information and insight because digitization once more does enable you to track back to identify decisions that were made, what the implications were, and I believe to pivot you forward with deep insight on what worked, what did not work, and what are the scenarios that are likely to lead to better optimization or implementation uh, going forward. Um, recognizing that uh, we're in a presidential system and uh, the technologies that are available to us, I also do believe that uh, leveraging on uh, the tools that are available it would be possible once more to have an element of the presidential archives and libraries running into the future that we may look back and we are able to see the story that Kenya walked at a moment in time and what the results and the outcomes were. I like that you have recognized the um unique position that the office of the secretary to the cabinet has. You stand in this point where you can look back in history and see those things that were done by cabinets and administrations of the past. And you can also look forward and work with the current administration to chart the new Kenya as we go forward. And that um, recognizing that role, I really like the idea of having a an archive of past decisions and also a record of decisions as we make them, kind of like being the spotlight to show the public and communicate to the public how government is being managed on their behalf on a daily basis so that they can understand that, but also so that they can see how it has changed in the past and how it is moving forward. Absolutely. I think this is a, a unique opportunity. And uh, given the constitutional um, requirement for public participation, I believe that while the constitution, the same constitution has not spoken about communication, you realize that uh, for a Kenyan to really bring themselves and deliberate on legislative and policy proposals, they also need to have an equal measure of information. So it behoves the whole of government, and indeed government is geared towards communicating as one, will be required to identify the Kenyan as a key player a key stakeholder, provide them with a breadth of information broken down in a manner and in a language that they understand 
so that it can then be the platform for a meaningful discussion. This is the Kenya that we want. This is the Kenya that we are going into, that ultimately when a decision is made on something, a Kenyan who is a player in that sector will feel that this policy, I participated, I contributed, and I want to see the fruition, the ultimate end goal of the implementation of this policy. Thank you. Thank you very much. That brings us to the end of this episode. I'd like to thank my distinguished guest, S.C. Masi Wanjao, the Secretary to the Cabinet of the Republic of Kenya. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. I'm your host, Jean Kambuni. Tell us what you think about this episode in the comments section of our social media pages or on email. Our email address is info at gvalawfirm.com. You can also follow Gikera and Badgama Advocates on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as GVA Law Firm. Thank you again for joining us on the GVA Legal Podcast.